Is that you? Hey. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Happy New Year. So we have um, everybody with Kenny. Um, so and Michelle. Michelle's not there, right? She's on PTO. I mean, she's out on vacation. Sorry, not PTO. <laughs> she's on holiday. So, so we've got me, Larry, and Anthony. Well, why don't we do, is Kinkini coming? I haven't heard otherwise, so she should be on her way. I haven't heard otherwise, but we can go ahead and start. Um, well, let's, let's, give her a, let's give her a minute or two. Let's give her a minute or two. Okay. Why not? And um, I think, well, as, it's about as full an agenda as um, usual. <laughs> You're slipping here, Dave. Um, well, when I get to my part, I'll kind of hold the opportunity to try to get done. I was going to say, when I saw the CapEx and Spencer, and I did that, uh, yeah, distance between them. Yeah. I'm teasing you, man, but you know, usually we have, usually agenda goes on for several pages, and you know, we've only got seven tabs. I mean, geez. You know. Okay, hold on. Yeah, there you go. That's the plan. <laughs> Email, no call. Yeah. yeah. So, Jim, I keep down the hall and I didn't see her, and it's five minutes after. Banerjee is not here yet. Trustee Lawrence is out. Trustee Charland. Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. We have a quorum. Okay. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the first uh, Finance Committee meeting of the year. And I was, as I was scrolling through my uh, computer today, I noticed that this is the umpteenth Finance Committee meeting that I've been to. Um, I think I'm going to the number. Uh, in any case, um, welcome, and um, we have a nice full agenda. So why don't we start with the um, 
Sorry, we'll start with the uh, tab one, the approval of the minutes. If I could get a motion for that. I'll move. I'll move. Okay. Um, anyone like to second that? I'll second. All right. All in favor, aye. Aye. And I hear no opposition, so that's um, uh, that's going to Let's see. The uh, contract approval. Um, so there are uh, many items here. I do know that they're all for fairly small sums. So unless, um, uh, you know, Anthony or Gary, one of you would like to um, discuss individual items, I would recommend, I would like to move all of them onto the agenda for um, consideration approval at the same time. Can you ask for a this is uh, Anthony Thompson? Can you ask for a motion to move them all, and then I just have two quick questions on I and J, and then we can dispense with them if that's okay with. Um, sure. The method is we move them. It gets that gets seconded, and then we can, and then we can discuss, and and that's fine. So why don't we do that? Okay, so I'll move them all onto the agenda. Is there a second for that? I'll second it. Okay, and then um, discussion, I think, I and J? Correct. On the Red Cross um, contract, I read that we have a new contract and it's billed at a lower rate, but this is only for three months, so I'm kind of confused about timing. Okay, um, if I can address that, um, this is Ira Holly, Vice President of Contracting. Um, for this particular contract, the three months that is in front of you is actually a recommendation to approve an extension of the underlying current agreement, as well as an amendment of that agreement to give the lower rates that they, the Hospital Council of Northern California, have negotiated on our behalf with the American Red Cross for the coming renewal. So there will be a renewal that will be entered into effective April 1st, and it will also come to this board at a subsequent time. But for right now, we needed to have a vehicle to continue providing services through that period of time. And then we'll have a 12-month contract for April. Yes, exactly, starting in okay. April. So this is just a bridge. Great. And Jay, I was a little bit confused with um, the total spend for the contract is $17.9 million, and lifetime vendor spend as of 6.15 was $20 million. Does that mean that we spent $20 million from with the beginning of time up until June 2015, and we have spent $7.9 million in two years with these people? Um, I believe, if I understand what you're asking, that is correct. The $20.9 million is the lifetime vendor spend to the best degree that we have of our ability to calculate that. The dollars that have been line-itemed out above that are the initial spend, which for inpatient, outpatient services, the 11.9, when that contract was originally entered with a one-year term, it had a five-point-some-odd million dollar total. Then what happened is with the PES services, that was an expansion. That's the 5.4 million, the second line item. That was entered into 7116. As part of that, we also extended the underlying contract for another year. And so when you aggregate that and add the proposed half a million additional spend under this proposed amendment here, that aggregation is the 17.9 million. The 20.9 is the difference between those two values. That's the additional amount that was spent with this vendor prior to this contract history. Okay, any other trustee questions? Uh, 
have none for me. Okay. Well, in that case, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Um, okay, there couldn't be any opposition, so Susanna, that carries. Um, Dave, on contract stuff, um, uh, we've had this discussion from time to time, but um, I, I think the uh, it, it struck me that we have a very large number of items all where the contracts themselves are quite large and therefore they're coming to the committee and the board's attention, yet the amounts of money, additional money that are being requested are fairly small um, for, um, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, if it were a new contract, it would be it would have to be over a million dollars for it to come to the uh, committee's attention, correct? Yes, uh, uh, Jim, this is uh, Mike Moy. That is correct. And the um, and so essentially, you know, these were all, you know, contracts with the aggregated amount with the one vendor exceeded the $1 million threshold. And uh, going right. back to the approval of this version of the signature authority policy, that was the, uh, the framework that had been set out by the board at that time. Um, you know, coincidentally, we are. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say that uh, you know the uh, if the question is um, you know whether or not you know that increases the number you know of contracts that come before the board or you know, they're of a certain type that you know to a certain extent that is correct and sometimes you know like this you have a group all of which are. Uh, under lower amounts, but, you know, it does vary from time to time. Okay. Well, I guess what I was going to say is, you know, like, like I said, it was just a large number of them, um, you know, so we just approved, you know, a whole batch of these things, so I'm sure these things, you know, so I think a lot of work went into doing this and getting prepared, but the approval was pretty quick. And um, what I was going to recommend is perhaps management could, this might be a, the impetus for management to review that particular policy and uh, bring forward at a, uh, you know, next month, two, three, an upcoming meeting, um, maybe some proposals to um, get where we would maintain control, where, you know, where, where appropriate controls are still in place but may streamline the process and make things move more smoothly and um, save some uh, staff effort for um, uh, more value-added projects. So we, we are looking at that. Good. Well, I, I recommend bringing, you know, sort of, you know, look at that, but also maybe put, uh, Dave, you might want to put that on the agenda for future, um, you know, for a, for a future committee meeting. We'll do that. Thank you very much. Okay. And, and I don't want to, you know, and, um, you know, Gary, Anthony, if you have any comments or thoughts, please, that would be, you know, uh, yeah. It, I tend to agree with you as well. I mean, this is a lot of work, and it looks like it's just because it's an aggregate issue when we're bringing forward yeah. this. And I, I think we could probably reduce the amount of work done and staff time that's being devoted to this. Probably be wise to yeah. revisit this. I agree. There has to be a better way that allow us to do our fiduciary responsibility to keep track on what we're spending, but not bog down the system for a fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this, this policy was put in place, you know, last revised a few years ago when, um, well, it, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, 
uh, given all the circumstances. I think the circumstances have changed considerably. So, um, 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 so there. So there you, I think you have um, uh, a, a unanimous sense that we could improve things here. And so I'll leave that in your, in your hands. Uh, we have with us um, uh, Terry Lightfoot and Jerry Randrup. Just for the new committee members, we have a long-standing policy that <clears throat> when we approve major agreements or initiatives, we come back after the fact sometime later retrospectively to say, gee, did this, did this work out as we had planned and just have a nice chance to talk about it. So, and this is one that was approved uh, at least a year ago, I think. So. Okay, so... trustees for having us here to make this presentation. My name is Terry Lightfoot. I am the Director of Public Affairs and Community Engagement. I'm here with Jerry Randrup, who's our Director for Corporate Communications and Marketing. We will give you a... Um, so, I <clears throat> want to give you a brief introduction to give you a bit of a context on uh, what was happening within the organization when we uh, initiated this particular contract with uh, AMF Media Group. Um, and we'll look back to see what we were um, trying to achieve and what were the specific deliverables within the contract. And also talk a little bit about where we're going in the future that may represent a different approach uh, to how we are going to be represented in the market, and then we'll take some questions after that point. So I will turn this over to Jerry, as she has been the lead on that contract to this point. And so, Jerry, take it away. Thank you. Good evening, trustees. Um, it's an honor to share with you accomplishments that occurred during the fiscal 16 uh, relationship with our advertising partner, AMF. And I want to set the stage because if there's anything constant about what we've done in marketing over the last few years, it's that it's paralleled healthcare and direction in general and it's been change. So you'll see some things that um, went forward, you'll see some modifications we made. But I want to set the stage and take you back to fiscal 15. We had acquired Alameda Hospital, we had acquired San Leandro Hospital, we were very focused on capacity that those organizations had, the opportunity to uh, shift some volume there, uh, decant the Highland Campus, if you will, and take advantage of that. And so our first year uh, with them, we built some strong campaigns. Uh, Alameda's was always here for you. San Leandro's was our community, your hospital. And Highland's was uh, the Count's campaign, campaign uh, compassion, teaching, etc. 
So let's flash forward. 15 is uh, coming to a close. We're at a board retreat uh, in the spring of 15, very focused on Alameda Hospital and San Leandro in particular. How were the volumes From coming along? From a team along? to the ER, we have a level two. ETA, three minutes. From a team to the ER, level two. ETA, three minutes. Okay. So we were very focused on how those hospitals were performing in terms of their volumes and meeting budgets. And as we were forming the fiscal 16 uh, contract agreement and scope of work, we were looking very much at marketing along service lines that would help us, in some cases, diversify our payer mix through the ED, uh, help with volumes to the inpatient side. We know a percentage of our uh, ED um, visits turn into inpatients. Um, traditional business service line marketing. That's how the budget was formed, and you'll see that as that year came about, we experienced some uh, transition. So this is just a quick um, reminder of the contract amount and our contract purposes. And I won't take you uh, line by line through this slide. I know that you've had the packet and opportunity, and I'm happy to discuss any one of the items. But the key areas of um, support were through marketing, development and project support, event support, and then a maternal child health campaign. I do want to focus on a couple of items. We opened, as you all know, the new tower that sits on this campus during that year. And so when I talk about transition, while we might have visioned as we formed the fiscal 16 budget another annual meeting, it became clear that that wasn't a direction we wanted to pursue, and we shifted those funds to support uh, the friends and family event that we had on the Highland campus. That was held in March, and it had one of the highest turnouts of any employee event that we've had in the organization in my time over about five years. So very successful. Uh, we also did some things with, for instance, our Pipeline Opportunities Program. They wanted to develop a new identity and name. They are now known as Health Path, so that's part of the work that was in there. Video production uh, resulted in a very strong couple of videos um, during the fiscal year. One portrayed, showcased our partnership with the county that brought forward the ACT, and the other very focused on the service line of maternal child health. So with that, um, I would say that um, we are in uh, a transition, and I'm going to hand it back to Cherry to talk about the look forward. I guess before I do, should I take some questions now or keep going? Pleasure of the committee. I have some questions. Okay. I'm happy to ask them whenever. Uh, when I look at the contract purpose, I, hear, I read build volumes, but I don't see any data that shows that we spent this much on ad buy and we have this many responses that go this much patient. Do we have any data that quantifies that? We and do we have a stratification of the $1.2 million that we spent, how much was ad buy versus how much was consulting versus how much was actually deliverable designing those short term? Yeah, yeah. So let me ask, answer the first, second question first because I think that's more quickly addressed. Uh, the addendum slides are in this presentation, I believe, and the details of the amounts and the, and the line items are in there, but happy to come back to that if um, they're missing or you have another question. Let me talk about data and service line and return on investment. Um, we do have a challenge in tracking uh, data as specifically aligned to marketing. We've looked at a variety of ways to doing that. Uh, particularly with our hospitals, I'll take San Leandro as an example. The direct mail campaign marketed the ED. There's some samples in the packet. 
we looked at how we might tie one of the zip code arrivals as a new patient, thus a new record, um, to that visit. We tried also some other measures, such as an intake form um, upon arrival, how did you hear about us? As you might imagine, it wasn't as um, robust or, I would say, probably statistically reliable as we would have liked because it was self-reported. Uh, as we continue to build data systems and look at how we, uh, if we were to continue uh, building volume or, or marketing for volume, I think you would find um, us looking for better measures of success because they have been somewhat difficult to track. It I don't is. know if... Yeah, it is. So if I, if I may just add to that, uh, one of the things I think is important to point out, and I'll be real transparent from a communication perspective, having done this work for over 30 years, it's always difficult to really put a number on the influence of something like marketing. It's just really difficult to do. So I think it's always um, prudent to be somewhat cautious to apply um, impact to something like marketing. What I will say, in terms of the volume at San Leandro and Alameda, there were increased volumes, there were more use of ED, but part of that had to do with a number of other factors. There were increased efficiencies and operations at those facilities. Um, there were um, government and community relations activities that took place in the community, particularly San Leandro, and also Alameda. I mean, both the CAOs in those communities did a great job of communicating the availability of the facility because one of the challenges that we were facing where there was sort of this sense in the community are you here? Are you open? Can we access your facility? So I think as we couple those things in terms of an integrated approach, I think we did achieve some success in, in, in increasing volume, um, but I would be very um, I'm cautious about attributing that to the amount of marketing that we did in, in terms of our emergency room campaign. Was there also a downturn during the economic downturn as well in terms of census overall? many of the community hospitals. I think that that may have been the case in general. I think what may have happened, particularly at San Leandro, I think because of the shift in some of the ways the facility was being operated before we took it over from Sutter, there was some utilization that was much lower than it may have been otherwise. Yeah, there were, there were sort of some more, some more direct um, um, operational activities or approaches that were also contributing to uh, uh, the volume and the utilization at, at um, San Leandro in the ED as well as in the in the you know, surgical services area and, and the inpatient setting as well. But but to your point, actually, I actually think it was a little bit of depending on where what sort of, uh, um, sort of pair mix or pair class you were looking at, there was a little bit more sort of depression. But in other cases, because of the economic downturn, uh, you saw upticks in services. So I think there was kind of a wash there. Uh, depending on where you are, but but I think the more uh, impactful contributor to the pre-EHS uh, uh, involvement and uh, uh, experience with services at San Leandro in particular were related to uh, activities and approaches to management that Sutter was taking based off of what they were planning to do. Mm -hmm. That's where marketing would have come in yeah. and really had an impact. The rebranding of the POP program, was yes. paid for by the health system, or was there money in the grant? That was a match, as I understand, and our partners from the foundation are here, Jerry, you may remember off the top of your head, but I believe there was some matching funds to achieve the marketing. That was part of a grant specification, I believe. The POP program. That was a match. Funding for the marketing for the POP program was a match, as I recall. Yeah. 
I recall it was, yeah, it was a match. Anything else? Thank you, Trustee. So the, the transition that we're talking about is really linked to um, our overall strategy over the next couple of two, three to five years. Now we're making a significant shift from being a primarily acute care provider of services to a population health manager. And what that means in many cases is how do we begin to address folks' health care needs in an ambulatory setting, primary care setting, out in the community, if you will. Um, Alameda Health System has been, or Highland Hospital, if you will, has been doing this for 150 years. And it's been known that if you, if you need care, emergency care, you go to Highland Hospital. As we are now shifting um, to a different approach, we are looking at um, how we communicate that to a, a broader public to help increase their awareness of the room. So, and we've talked about some of these things um, previously. Um, we recognize that many of the things that contribute to someone's health, um, the social determinants of health, if you will, are, are conditions that exist outside of our walls. And we believe as an anchor institution in the community with a high number of employees and the investment we make in terms of working with vendors and with customers, that it's important for us to utilize that position to help support ways in which we improve those conditions, whether those be um, um, shelter, um, economic development, more jobs, uh, transportation issues, food security, and the like. We really want to be involved in those conversations as we move forward to help ensure that we are contributing to the overall health of the communities that we serve. So. Uh, this is how we're looking forward. So previously what we talked about really was a marketing effort. And what we did was that was primarily around developing ads that talked about um, services and how to access our services and to really help display those services. But, uh, moving, uh, moving ahead, we really want to talk about uh, how we're going to plant our flag moving forward to help people understand what is it that Alameda Health System stands for. And that's the goal around uh, our brand campaign that you'll be hearing more about in the future, but that's where we're, that is really where we're trying to move um, in the future, which is different from what you've seen in the past. So we wanted to share that to give you a sense that um, we are, like many other institutions, looking at ways in which we can use brand efforts, marketing, actually to better educate and get people focused on prevention and wellness activities but also begin to show that we're not just a hospital, we're really here to start talking about um, being a population health manager. And we had a couple examples of this that we'd like to share, um, just to kind of give you a sense of what's happening in other places. So um, ignore the dollar amount, but the most important part is um, that um, many healthcare institutions are really beginning to develop advertising brand campaigns around population health strategies and keeping people healthy. And that's the same path that we are moving on. This is one that was done in Mount Sinai. If our beds are filled, it means we failed. So think about that in the context of what we have done as an acute care hospital where filling beds, having volume, having folks come to our ED has been the primary objective for the organization. We're now looking at thinking about um, keeping people healthy, keeping people healthier, um, looking at prevention and wellness. And so if we're good at those things, that means we're gonna have less volume out facilities. But we want to share that. Because right now, if you say Highland, it, our front door still continues to be our emergency room. To bring it more to bring it locally, this is a brand campaign being done by San Francisco General Hospital. 
Uh, they talk about the fact they've never branded themselves in the same period of time that we've been around, and they thought it was time to do that. So I um, just wanted to share these, just give an example of what's happening both locally, uh, nationally, around hospitals taking a different approach to speak to the different way in which they're being engaged in the health of the people that they serve. And so we have some additional supplemental slides that are part of the package that you can look at. But if you have additional questions about the presentation, we'd love to entertain more. I'll sneak peek on what you're planning to do and change the brand. <laughs> well, let's see. I may have something here. It's really short. So let me just show you. These are examples of the advertising that we've done. Uh, very service-oriented. Um, both for that was that was Alameda. That was Alameda. This is San Leandro. Mm -hmm. You see, focusing on our emergency department, uh, Alameda, reminding people that we're here for them. Again, a little bit of focus on services at the facility. Uh, this is our focus campaign around maternal child health. Uh, and we open that facility, and so this is just a very small something that we pull together. You have a, we have a wonderful food as medicine program where folks at uh, Hayward Wellness are really doing a great job of helping our patients understand that um, what they eat can be just as valuable to their health as prescription. So that program helps them learn how to cook, how to select appropriate food. We're partnering with agencies in the community to bring those healthy foods to those folks. And so this kind of advertising is meant to do two things, educate, around uh, making about food different um, and to also indicate that we are really working hard to send some educational messages to the population about what they can expect to receive from us. It's a very different message. This is a small tidbit. We will be back shortly with a bigger look at the grand campaign. So are we going to explore partnerships with maybe the Alameda County Community Food Bank? Well, yes, we are. In fact, I met with them on Tuesday. And part of that conversation, we'll have more about that issue. Um, we have actually have a meeting coming up with um, Supervisor uh, Wilma Chan on April second to give her a tour, of, a demonstration of this program. So we are looking at ways to partner with a variety of communities and organizations to do this work. And to that end, some of our marketing efforts will reflect some of those, those partnerships in a way that is intended to inure to the benefit of the people we serve in a different way than just saying, you know, come here for a clinic visit or come here for a hospitalization, but, uh, but still with the mindset of obviously uh, uh, the, the extent to which we're able to sort of capture, if you will, the, the place in someone's mind that we are a trusted partner in health, that uh, while the messages are about wellness and, 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 and uh, keeping yourself uh, well, when the, um, uh, the unexpected occurs, or when it, you are in need of care, that we're four of mine. So, so it's intended to have both of that but, but not to purely uh, say, you know, we have the state-of-the-art delivery suite come here, you know, or the state-of-the-art individual service come here. It's, it's we're that plus we care about when you don't need these things, and hopefully you don't, you won't need these things, and we want to help that. You know, Help you to stay that way. No other questions? Thank you for giving us an opportunity to talk about uh, this effort. <coughs> we look forward to talking about it.
Okay, uh, <clears throat> next up, I'll uh, switch slides will be uh, Richard Espinoza to talk about the rehab care agreement. Coming up, and, uh, and Dave, do you want to, let's see, um, do you want to give a little background on this uh, particular contract? Because as I recall, this was a, you know, um, it took a lot of work to get it approved, <laughs> put it that way. And um, for the trustees, it would just be helpful to provide a little bit of that. Uh, sure. sure. Uh, I'll give a quick update. Uh, so I believe this is originally approved around July of 2014. And essentially at the time, <clears throat> the idea was to bring in um, uh, expert management into our uh, rehab program. Uh, with certain objectives, which uh, Richard will go through. So we've now been doing it um, over a couple of years, and we're going to talk about the results and where we're trying to focus on now. Adequate? Sounds good. Okay. Well, good afternoon. My name is Richard Espinoza. I'm the Chief Administrative Officer for Post-Acute Services for Alameda Health System. I will be reviewing the Rehab Kindred Program um, contract and so uh, sharing some of the deliverables that the contract had spoken to and what uh, we've actually done. So the program overview has the terms of the contract for five years. It um, was approved in November of 18, November 18, 2014 for a five-year term. Um, of that, the program is to provide a program director, a medical director, two clinical liaisons, a program secretary, and an IRFPI coordinator, which is the inpatient rehab facility uh, patient assessment instrument coordinator. The fee structure is one that has a fixed community service fee of 33333 a month, which covers uh, the cost of the staff that we provide, as well as a volume-based per discharge fee, uh, so that we can discharge people back safely into the community. Yes? Now, can you provide that many people for $400,000 a year? Um, so I will keep going. There's, uh, the vol the volume-based per discharge fee is 1261 so there's a focus on discharging residents safely back into the community. So there's a focus on high discharges back into the community safely so that they can maintain that fee, as well as the quarterly incentive pool, which is uh, a maximum of 12500 on a quarterly basis. So the big incentive comes from the discharges and from the incentive um, from the quality metrics that they deliver um, and that it's reviewed on a quarterly basis. And I'll cover the quality um, deliverables in the next slide and then I will also cover um, more of the financial piece uh, in a few other slides that speaks to that. Uh, some of the other de deliverables in the contract speak to the development and strategic and business plan um, which is reviewed at the quarterly business plan review with them, um, which reviews the standards, the financial projections, the quality metrics, patient satisfaction, things of that nature. So on the next slide, this is uh, our dashboard. There are six deliverables in reference to quality that we're focused on that um, is also in the contract. The first one that we look at is the functional independent measures, which we call FIM gains. When a resident is admitted to the program, they are calculated to be at a certain gain, and then we want to see what their improvement is when they are discharged. The goal for that is to be at 28, and you can see that there's been improvement over the years. So the baseline was at 24, 15 was 27, and currently we're at 29, which means the quality that we're delivering to our residents is getting better. We also look at the same metric, but specifically for the diagnosis of stroke. The FIM gain for that is 25 as a goal, and that too has been growing from 23 and 14, 27 and 15, and 28 and 16. 
again, showing that we're delivering um, better care and that we're having better outcomes for our uh, population. Our case METS index has also grown from 1.15 to 1.26. This is indicating that we're seeing more clinically complex residents in our acute program and that they too are also getting better. Discharges to the community, the goal is at 78%. And again, you can see that we've had um, some growth year over year. And, and we did have a dip in 15, but we're up to 81% uh, in 16. Also, unplanned discharges back into the acute. That's a big focus for CMS um, in the post-acute environment, as well as in the hospital environment. And you can see we've dropped from 9.14% as our baseline in 14 to 6%. So we're keeping a better eye on our residents and making sure that we're keeping them stable within the environment and not transferring them back and forth. And lastly, patient satisfaction. That's one that, the organ that they need to work on. Uh, was a baseline of 87, and uh, last result in for fiscal year was 83% for 16. Um, we're looking to see of ways to have a greater response rate. For the entire year, we have 34. So we're looking to see uh, how we can better... Uh, grasp uh, responses from our residents. The quantitative information from the contract was that the contract was going to increase the revenue by $4.4 million from a baseline of 10.2. This was based on a performa that they did, but part of the performa had a projection of a higher census. When we dug deeper into um, the amount of patients that we can have at the acute rehab based on our nursing ratio and rehab ratios, we've identified that we were capped at a census of 20. And so that directly affects the type of revenue we would have based on the performa being at a higher census than we were capable of having. Is that capability based upon staffing or is it based upon physical? It's based on staffing, based on staffing for registered nurses and based on staffing for PTO teams. So is there any ability to increase the staffing and then increase your sense? You're beating me to my other no, slides, sorry. but yes, <laughs> that is the plan, that is the sorry. plan, but I'm glad we're all on the same page. Um, so we are focusing on growing the census. Um, we ended October and November with a census of 18. We looked at December, it was at 17.8 also, close to 18, so there's been a big push and focus on um, the census and the mix. I, I talk about mix as um, initially when the contract was uh, implemented, they were looking at building commercial and external volume. And you'll see over the course of the year, we've had a shift. The system has, also, has looked at our throughput and how we can also help our facilities and the system to be admitted into the program. So you'll see there's growth in our Medi-Cal program and in the Medicare population. Sure. So, also, um, originally when it was put together, there was, a, I think, a misunderstanding of the economics of rehab in our system, because we're a designated public hospital to get cost-based reimbursement, which in this case is actually very beneficial. So, once we got in and started operating, we said, no, number, number one, building the commercial volume is not realistic. Number two, it's actually not the economical thing to do. What we want to do is grow Medi-Cal, so we shift that's going But demand is there, and that's what I'm getting. The demand is there, and there has been a shift. And um, part of the program, you can see that, and this actually is calendar year 2015, the entire calendar year, where the initial focus was um, the external. So internals, which include Highland, San Leandro, and Alameda, um, were at 220, and externals at 152. 
we've decided to make an, a, a shift. And now we're seeing that the internals has grown to 283 and externals 84. And for the entire year was 313 internal and 92 external. So we're seeing much more of our internal uh, patients coming into the, to the, to the program. <clears throat> so this speaks to the um, question earlier about cost. Richard, Richard Hall, um, just one, you know, one, one question I have kind of in the middle is, um, as I recall, one of the other, I mean, part of the emphasis for doing this in the first place was that um, as we were running it, it was, you know, this operation was losing a lot of money. And, you know, the expectation was that by uh, bringing on the uh that we would uh, start to make a lot of money. And I don't, maybe I'm missing it, but I don't see here, you know, specific reference to um, profitability. So I'm curious where we're at on that. Um, I mean, I think cost revenue uh, and all that, but, it, you know. Well, um, while Richard's. I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I can put that all together and figure it out. Um, well, Rich is preparing his answer, so at the time that management was looking at that and thinking, quote, losing a bunch of money, that was prior to um, putting in a process to accurately, try to accurately assess the supplemental reimbursement, the cost-based reimbursement, and then allocate it out to these business units. And once we did that, it changed the perception of this program markedly. Um, so um, I'm not sure about the improvement from the, here to there, but um, we, we feel like the program is in and of itself, uh, quote, profitable at this point. Mm -hmm. and, and really the, the big issue, as Richard has indicated, has been improving the throughput, getting patients out of the acute care setting, into rehab, through rehab, and out back into the community. I would just add on slide four, we had a baseline of $10 million, um, and then over the course of uh, 2016, there's been a $2 million increase. It's still not meeting what the performer has suggested, but the performer had spoke to having a higher census. Um, nonetheless, not meeting that census, there still was a $2 million gain. Was that census based upon a cost-based uh, reimbursement model or based upon commercial payers? or targeting commercial but the cost base turns out to be a much better financial. Yes, for us. In terms of program components, um, and, and it speaks to um, Anthony's question earlier in terms of cost, we did a side-by-side um, -side if we were to do a program where we provided the staff versus working with our external vendor. And in terms of cost, we've estimated the cost for the program director, the medical director, the clinical liaisons, and the two other positions, the program secretary and the earth high coordinator, uh, at an estimated cost of a million dollars, a million seventy-three. With the program, um, the cost for the uh, FTEs is on the right-hand side, but the fees are how they collect uh, the dollars. So there's a monthly management fee that we talked about, the thirty-three thousand, which calculates to three seventy-six for the year, and then the discharge fee is where they make up some of those fundings by having higher percentage of discharges back into the community and there's a, um, a bonus structure with that. So that was $478,000. And then the quarterly bonus, which is focused on the six um, quality 
measures that we're looking at was at $36,000. So the cost for 2016 at the time of this assessment was $891,000. There's a section under six um, where there are some other <coughs> additional um, gains that we get in terms of having the program and their expertise in terms of the CARF survey expert, um, expertise. And we just went through a, uh, a mock CARF survey um, three months ago, and we are applying for a CARF certification this month. And so they are experts in that and have prepared the facility for that, and we are very confident that we will get the certification, and we're, we're looking to have that accomplished within the next four months. 5000 looks a little low for an estimated CARF. I would say that's not the cost of the actual survey, but preparation that we've done. Um, we've yeah. also are gaining training through um, Kindred and Rehab Care for our RNs. So they provide a training so that they can become um, rehab certified nurses. And through the program, we've had eight nurses who have become certified uh, rehab nurses. What does the program look like? The acute rehab program? Yeah, is it a 30-day, 28-day program? or do we just the, the length of stay that we're currently seeing is about 12 days. They come from the acute setting. Um, they have intensive rehab three hours a day, uh, six days a week. Inpatient? Yes. And so they're getting OTPT speech. Um, so that lends to a short uh, length of stay because it's so intensive. And that's one of the requirements is that they need to be able to tolerate that type of uh, therapies. If not, they would go into one of our or a post-acute setting where the therapies uh, is about an hour to an hour and a half a day. So the recommendations um, are to continue to work with rehab care and to address some of the issues that we, we identified. Uh, one of them is uh, the focus of our internal volume, our throughput, the focus on our Medi-Cal population uh, within the system, uh, to continue managing our admin, admin days and our discharge planning, to reevaluate re our quality metrics to see if there are opportunities to potentially, rather than be incentivized on discharges, have a flat fee as part of the contract. Um, we're also, they are experts in, in acute rehab and in transitions, and so as we look at the program moving to San Leandro, they will assist heavily in that process. Um, in, also including the engagement of improving our patient satisfaction scores and the amount of uh, satisfaction uh, surveys that we're getting back. Also focusing on our patient population, again, in our internal volumes. And then lastly, as we had spoken to, looking at increasing the amount of staffing we have both in the rehab, PTO2 speech, and the nursing so that we can see the census that uh, was initially anticipated. That concludes my presentation. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear an answer to Trustee Charlotte's question about what is the capacity of the program if we staff it. So, so currently, uh, the capacity is at uh, we could do 32. We have 32 beds in the unit. It's licensed for 50, but that would be a very tight squeeze in the in the way the facility plant is laid out. Um, we are looking at when uh, for the move to San Leandro of having a census of 27. So if we can make the increase in staffing in the games, we can certainly see some of that growth. Is that privates or is that uh, shared? Semi-privates or privates? Oh, they're all, they're all shared. All shared. Yeah, there's going to be a, uh, <clears throat> a fully, uh, more full discussion of 
capacity and the request to uh, get approval to move this over to San Andrew. We originally thought about taking it to this committee, but we thought that <clears throat> since the entire board could see it, and I think that's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, so you'll probably you get another shot at it. Right, thank, thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, Dave, can you switch to the other one? And uh, in terms of agenda management, uh, I, we normally have the uh, CIO's report on the agenda, but I believe Mr. Gravender is... Are you going to talk? Okay. So, brief. And then uh, business planning. Actually, there's nothing to talk about tonight, so we'll be skipping that. So we have um, the uh, discussion of financials, uh, Dave's report, and then the education session on financial planning. Okay. Um, all right. So we're up to the uh, CFO's report. <clears throat> and what I typically do here is give you the high-level uh, assessment of where we are, anything that I think is important to bring to your attention. And uh, then you have an opportunity to go anywhere in the report you want and we can talk about anything. So <clears throat> uh, in terms of um, how we're doing, uh, we are profitable overall year-to-date. Uh, obviously, we are reporting a loss in November. Uh, that's a couple of things contributing to that. Uh, <clears throat> one is, uh, you may recall that we talked about this uh, system conversion issue a few months ago that delayed billing. Um, <clears throat> we're making some progress on that, but we felt that it was appropriate to uh, reserve about a million dollars for uh, claims that aren't going to get processed or paid. Uh, AR ran up about $16 million once that occurred, so we're, we're collecting, and I'll show you AR in a few minutes. Um, also, the expenses continue to be over budget. I think a couple areas, uh, registries, uh, and we've recently <clears throat> approved some retroactive pay adjustments that are coming through. Um, uh, in addition, the volume is a little lower than budget uh, in general. That's being offset by um, the discharges are down, but length of stays up, case mix index is up. And we have been reporting um, that clinic visits are below budget. We've identified a, um, a billing reporting issue. There were, because of uh, system setup, a lot of the services being provided, affected uh, by new physicians, were not being billed. So the teams are working together to get those claims through. Uh, that will potentially impact, obviously, how many clinic visits we have actually performed. So we're hoping in the next two to three months, we'll be able to give you more accurate information. Are they using super bills and not turning them in? What's not happening? It was a technical glitch in the system. A box wasn't checked to send the charges from one system to the interface, and so it was it was a simple checkbox that was not done. Physicians were doing everything they were supposed to. And so is that going to be a timely filing issue as well? Uh, potentially. Do you have any idea of the number? Um, yeah, the the ones we're talking about now, they're, they're approximately like twenty five thousand. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's, it's, it's in, in counters. Okay. So. Oh, twenty five thousand encounters. Yeah. With with a graduated volume closer to the end. So to your question about the timely billing issue, yeah. uh, these the it's a favorable variance in terms of the bulk of the billing being in a window that is not. Potentially problematic from a timely following perspective, but there are some that they're newer than older. It happened to apply the to any new physician who came into the system, so it, 
relatively small the, back yeah, when the conversion and then as, over, it, as it's coming, it's getting back. bigger and bigger and bigger. So. What's your average, about 45 days on your time with filing on the physician's uh, No, it's a little bit longer. It's like 60 days. I'm getting 60. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, net revenues are favorable, and um, we have recently completed uh, negotiations with um, the Alameda Alliance, which is our local uh, county-sponsored Medi-Cal managed care plan. There's going to be a retroactive pickup of about $5 million because we've negotiated a higher rate for outpatient services. Um, also, um, AB 85, <clears throat> uh, there's a program called the uh, Cost Guarantee for the Newly Medi-Cal Eligible. Um, this, this program has been under development and under negotiation with the county, and we're hearing that um, the uh, fiscal 16 year is going to get settled fairly quickly. Uh, shortly followed after by the year we're in, which is fiscal 17. We have been um, <clears throat> booking that very conservatively because of the uncertainty on the program. Uh, so there's a potential, depending on how the, uh, the numbers come out, that that would be a pickup to us. We'll be happy to report on that when we get more information on it, but, uh, probably within the next month or two. Um, the other thing I wanted to make you aware of is uh, several projects underway. Uh, one is um, called the uh, Ambulatory Access Redesign Project, which was originally about um, finding a way to get more patients into the ambulatory setting, quickly getting them registered through scheduled scene. Uh, that's really become more of a, almost a complete redesign of the division. Um, so we'll be happy to report on that at a later date. That's progressing to the point where we're talking about how to have the implementation plan for it. Um, another thing we're doing is um, looking at um, how we're doing benchmarking and reporting for productivity systems. Uh, we, I believe, are going to be in a position to make a decision recommendation on that toward the end of March or April. Um, that's an important uh, supporting system we use because obviously when we do budgets, we want to have a, a benchmark. Um, we are also uh, about to kick off a uh, physician charge capture assessment. This will actually be done through uh, Alameda Health Partners, which is our physician subsidiary. But uh, that organization is charged with improving um, charge capture throughout the organization. We believe this is really a very significant opportunity for us uh, in an area that we need to spend focus on. Um, related to that, uh, we, we have a very... Um, uh, disjointed and efficient system to actually build physician charges even if we capture them. So uh, we're now, um, Dave and my team is working together to essentially rebuild that module so that we can um, build physician charges. And then finally, um, uh, we'll be hearing a lot about commercial contracting. I'm going to kind of expand on that so you kind of have the background on what we did and why. Okay. All right. Um, so the first thing I want to do is uh, give you a little bit more information on uh, the financials. So this is the revenue section, and this is year-to-date, not, not the month. Do you have a question, Jim? Well, um, just as you're, as you're going along, there's two things that I wanted you to tend to. And one is, in your, in your written report, um, you, know, you noted that uh, volumes were you know, looked like well below the budget, and uh, revenue was somewhat above. So if you can connect the dots at the appropriate time, and then, you 
know, especially given that we're you know, below budget in the, in the uh, month, just if there's any implications in terms of uh, hitting a full year, um, full year uh, budget in terms of profitability and cash flow. So yeah, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and comment. So when, we, when we get to it in the course of your work. No, I, I can comment on those as I go through these next couple of slides. So, um, Perfect, thanks. Yeah, can so I add a couple of things as well? Sure, yeah. As I read these, when I got off the plane at 30 in the morning, um, if we generally agree that our patient volume is down, um, why are our medical expenses up for fewer patients? And if we more or less believe that we have the right number of FTEs, and it seems we're pretty close to budget on full-time staff, why are our temporary expenses for staff registry and contractor doctors positions so high? So those are general things when I look at the numbers. And uh, why are the acute care clinics just performing so miserably? So anyway, what are the which clinics? The acute care clinics? You mean ambulatory? Ambulatory, excuse me. Yeah. 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 Well, budget of 17 and okay. So let me, um, uh, let me, I'll, I'll, so I've got five, six issues. I'll, co I'll cover them all in the next three slides. How's that? Okay. Um, so the first thing is this is our um, current revenue that we've booked. And then we have two types of revenue. We have patient revenue where we send a bill out and get paid. And then we have what are called supplemental programs, uh, which are a special type of reimbursement programs. That includes Measure A, which is this uh, tax, uh, sales tax subsidy that we get. So right now, we are um, booking about 2% more patient revenue than budget. And this gets to the question of, well, volumes down, how are you doing that? And the answer is we've been working on this revenue cycle improvement program now for in the third year. We're continuing to make progress against that. Um, and in addition, uh, I mentioned that AB85 um, uh, MCE to cost issue. That actually comes through uh, as sort of a, it's, it's treated as a net patient revenue. You might think it's supplemental, but the way it comes through, it's, it's actually, since it gets paid by the, um, the, the plan, uh, Alameda Alliance and Anthem, we're treating it as patient. So that's in here. So. The, the quick answer is that even even though revenue is down or volume is down, you know we we have sort of booked conservatively, and and my my theory is that if there's a surprise, I'd, I'd rather that be a positive surprise than a, a negative surprise, for you know, <laughs> the typical CFO approach to financial management. But you know that being said, we're continuing to look at this. Um, one of the other consideration I have the other way of looking at this is when we get audited in the year, the auditor's been kind of, name's Ben Mack, worked with him for a long time, he's going to say, Dave, I'm going to look at cash, how much you've collected, and I'm going to look at net revenue, how much you've booked. And I want to see about as much cash as you've booked as net revenue. So right now, <clears throat> we're at about 90%. Okay? A lot of reasons for that. One is this AB85 issue because we're booking the revenue, but we haven't received it yet. Uh, another is this accounts receivable issue, which delayed us by about $16 million. So I'm looking at that saying, are we going to get that cash? And there's some other ups and downs. So that's essentially there. 
Uh, then we come to supplemental, and we're doing better <coughs> here, okay, by about $7 million so far. Uh, and if you look at it, um, the waiver, so uh, the, the Medi-Cal waiver is co composed of two big programs. One is Prime, which is worth, I think, $30 million a year, and the other is um, uh, GPP, or Global Payment Program, which is worth ninety, about $120 million. Um, when we budgeted, you know, this money is at risk. It's not, it's not guaranteed. We sort of have to earn it. So I said, well, let's budget at 95% just to be conservative. You know, and we think we're doing a little better. I think we're not up to 100% yet, but we're, um, <clears throat> you know, we're probably better at 95, so, so we're doing a little bit better there. And then um, Measure A, even though we're, we're right, right on budget, that's because we're sort of booking to budget and we do a quarterly true-up. And after the end of December, we'll look at how much we actually got. And that's largely de dependent upon the um, economic growth in Alameda County. So if there's more activity, more sales, more sales tax, we'll do better there. And then uh, there are various uh, supplemental programs that we're, we're doing a little bit better than expected. So uh, that, I think, answers the first question on revenue. So I, I, I you know, I, I think this number is conservative. There's some pluses and minuses, but I, I'm feeling pretty good that the revenue number is, is appropriate at this point. If we get more information, We'll, we'll adjust, okay? Either way, up or down. Um, then the next uh, thing is expenses. And so year-to-date expenses are over um, uh, 4%, and Cressy um, Thompson appropriately in indicated that GE Registry is over by $9 million, even though salaries are about on budget, paid FTEs are about on budget. So that's something we're looking at. We, we've seen... Uh, kind of a steady growth. I think I have a chart in here showing the trend, but the trend's, trend's been up, so it's, it's something that we're looking at. That's about all I can say, unless Luis, you want to make a comment? Okay. Um, Who do you talk to, to to say stop doing that? Uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very complex problem. Okay. We have some internal... Um, Structures in place at the leadership level to look at these these uh, numbers and look at the oversight of the overall budget, but also to look at variances and and to ask the question: what what is causing this? Was there some realities that are uh, reasonable that we didn't know when we budgeted it that are driving these? So it makes it legitimate, and we need to acknowledge it and now um, um, course correct or or try to. Um, incorporate that into our operations in a way that uh, looks for other opportunities that you know, we may not have otherwise uh, had to look for because of these new costs that are real and, and, um, and justifiable. But on the other hand, the converse is also true when we look at something and say, why is that happening? And if there isn't a reasonable justification for it, the area where it is happening to say, figure this out and, and uh, uh, address it. So stop it course correct, that sort of thing. So we're, we're doing the deeper dive and in those uh, structures that we have in place to get at the heart of you know, where the registry utilization is, the physician contracting things, some things have happened that, you know, quite honestly, are new information to us uh, that are legitimate in some cases, other cases are still diving into it. But uh, we, we recognize this uh, uh, is... Uh, as, as, as is reflected here uh, above what we anticipated. Uh, fortunately, we do have some additional revenue that we didn't anticipate to offset it, 
but not enough. And uh, the the trend does appear to be, at this point, uh, uh, a bit concerning. Uh, and we just are still in the process of figuring out, you know, does that mean that we really did have, maybe we over-course corrected. We're particularly proud of the, the uh, constraint and the restraint that we were able to implement over time. Did we overcorrect? Did we not uh, address certain things? And, and we're just trying to figure that out. Have more, but we're looking at it. With the census being down, how effective is flexing then? Have you been able to flex with the lower census? Uh, so it looks like the answer to that is yes, but uh, it also looks like there's some additional things connected to uh, recruitment and retention, like uh, bringing in. Uh, as students or new graduates that are uh, uh, intended to eventually offset some of the registry use, but in the current moment aren't because there's a you know, sort of a double dip of, of training them so that then you're ready to fully uh, uh, offset the registry, that, that might be confounding some of that uh, or hiding some of the uh, flexing that we are doing because you have this kind of other overhead piece happening there. How sense has been for December and um, it's actually been good for um, December, and the reason people are looking is we used to have this um, daily um, census report, but it turned out to be not really useful, so we've had this initiative to redesign it. Amy, Amy, Amy has uh, redesigned our uh, daily dashboard and is about to turn it back on so people will have more information. But from what I've seen, um, uh, December's been pretty busy. Above budget, I'd December. say above budget. Yeah. So, so maybe it may, it may go. Yeah, it could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhat. Yeah, yeah. And as Devaki mentioned on the contracted position, which is over budget, there's really two things. One is we we have a major contract that uh, we, we needed to be renegotiated. It's not been extended well over a year. We thought it would have been renegotiated earlier, and we thought there would be savings. Um, uh, I think that'll probably get done within the next three months. Um, whether there's savings or not, we're not sure. That's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, um, prior to your joining the board, that uh, you might have heard that there was um, kind of a service issue at our psych, psych unit with uh, emergency services, and uh, part of the solution was that was to bring in some additional uh, positions to triage and manage that. And that's, that really wasn't budgeted, so that's that's what's hitting that. Okay. Um, so where we are is um, we're over budget on revenue, we're over budget on expenses. Uh, net, we're right now behind by 2.4. So to answer the question about, well, what does it mean for the end of the year? Um, obviously, if the expenses continue like this, it's going to make it challenging. Uh, on the other hand, we have some pick potential pickups on revenue. Um, at this point, I'm thinking we still can uh, achieve our budget for the year. Um, you know, I think the management team is appropriately looking at expenses and seeing what we can do to you know, address that. Uh, then there was a question about on the ambulatory clinics. That, that has been a historic issue for us. Um, uh, a couple things. One, obviously, these 25,000 visits, if those had been, those are largely ambulatory visits. If those had been booked, that would have helped. Um, the other issue, though, is that I think we recognize that there are major, have been major access issues, so that's why we're doing this uh, ambulatory access redesign project, and I think we can tell you about that in, within three months or so. I, I just add to it, there's, you know, there, there's also been um, 
ongoing uh, provider recruitment uh, efforts that have uh, that appear to be materializing uh, at least. I mean, it ebbs and flows. So I can say it's materializing now, and next month we have an issue. But but it seems to be pretty stable now in terms of the uh, uh, the uh, filling uh, most of our provider vacancies in our clinics. And uh, to that end, I think what David reported was the the overall variance uh, for the for the year to date. Uh, or for the month to date, was less than the rate for the year to date. So it suggests that we are we're getting some improvement in that performance and and moving in the right direction in terms of uh, closing that gap. Historically, though, for for your for your benefit, uh, um, uh, the we've we've now at least for last year and uh, year to date uh, this year not been able to hit our, our uh, access targets for our clinic visits. Uh, but we are we are, we're putting great priority on that, and as you know, it's uh, one of our goals. It is the goal in uh, access uh, from that pillar perspective. Um, um, so we're, we're committed to really zeroing in on hitting, hitting that as a demonstration of our improved access for our patients. It may well be that we still need even greater access, and we'll be working on that, but, but we at least want to demonstrate that the improvement uh, in terms of the volume that we anticipated in our budget that we actually achieved that. So that's more of a vacancy issue, so a lot of vacant positions? Uh, I think there's a couple of things. So I, I'm, I think there was some vacancy issues. I think there were some uh, efficiency issues, and that's to David's point. We've been doing this, uh, working with uh, Freed and other folks to do this assessment of our ambulatory throughput and structural opportunities. And uh, uh, we're about at the point of, uh, of uh, implementing some of those recommendations so that that then will also improve the, the Productivity, the, uh, the throughput, and all the other issues in the clinic. Uh, in addition to having the resources there to actually. When you talk about accounts receivable, is that the number of net patient receivables? Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the balance sheet, I think we actually show it both ways. That could be wrong. But I didn't see anything to say. Yeah, but it is. Uh, we use net, net AR. Um, yeah, I mean, what I have said is I'd like to see it below 60. And I think we've made good progress. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was like 90, over, 90 over, over 100. Uh, so it's come way down. And uh, we're, I think we might have ended June last year right below 60. Uh, we've, we've made improvement. That's actually, you know, at some point we need to talk about how to get there. And I, I can just mention now that uh, the billing office is on uh, what's called the Fairmont campus, which is down 580. It's just horrible. And uh, it's, it's, all of, it's like an old hospital or administrative building. Everybody's in different rooms. You, you, can't, you can't effectively manage uh, you know, a, a business office. I, I think the ability to make further improvements really is going to be dependent on moving those people into more of I, I think that, you know, yeah, I really, I really do. I mean, I'm not joking. You know, there's a limit to how much you can do. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're quite good. Thank you. All right, uh, next slide. So I, I want to talk about um, calculating EBITDA. And the reason I put this on here is we've, we've recently changed the way we present the financials and we, we present uh, the calculation of EBITDA. The reason for this um, really relates to the financial planning process that we're going to talk about. So, um, what, what I've tried to do is um, educate, you know, the board and the, the whole team that, you know, cash is really important, and that the, the amount of cash we generate is a function of 
net revenue, which is really cash collected, and the EBITDA margin. And as I was getting ready for financial planning this year, I was sort of checking um, the real cash. And I was finding, gee, we're actually generating more cash than we're reporting. So why is that? When we looked at it, I said, oh, you know, there's this, there's this GASB 68 expense that we're putting up into benefits that's really non-cash. And so to, to properly report um, cash flow and EBITDA, we said, well, we need to take it out there. So, so just to give you an example, so this is um, the, the original budget for where we are right there through November. Okay, so we had, um, here's the revenue. And you can see the, the current budget we're giving you in your financial statement is the same number. And then here is the expenses. <clears throat> and so the expenses had about $7 million or a little, little over a million a month, about $1.4 million of uh, this GASB 68 issue that, you know, is, is really non-cash. Uh, and so when we did that, we said, okay, well, the budget of was 4.9, and that's what the budget was. But in reality, if you take that out and put it down here below the line and don't count it for EBITDA, then really instead of generating 18.6 million or 4.9 for the same revenue, we really generated 25.8, 6.7. Now that's going to be important when we get to financial planning because it's all about how much cash you can you generate and what's the margin. So this is the way we're doing it now. We've moved this non-cash item down here. Uh, we, we've adjusted the internal budget, and we can adjust the targets. But as you can see, we're about really generating 1.8% more cash than we thought we would when we approved the original budget. Okay? Everybody, any questions about that? I see You're Gary. if we were on budget, well, yeah, the, this is the budget. So we've changed the way we're doing budgeting. We've also changed the way we're doing financial reporting. See, here we've turned it to zero and moved it down here. It's actually higher than what we originally thought it was going to be because we didn't get notified of the number until after the budget was complete. And once again, just very high level, what's in there? Uh, Gatsby 68 says we need to book our share of the unfunded liability from the pension fund. New, At some new. point, we'll have to use that. Yeah, the, the other thing, though, is this it's a calculated number that changes from year to year. And, you know, in particular, if investment returns improve and interest rates go up, that number could actually turn around and be a positive. So it's just, it's just completely hard to predict what's going to happen. But it's not cash. Cash stuff we're booking. We're continuing to book the cash up, up above. I think it's an important distinction to have. Okay, I'll move on from there. Okay. Um, I want to talk about contracting for a minute. So we have a um, we have a contracting strategy. Uh, first of all, Highland has really never had any significant commercial contracts because of the pair mix we've had, um, and the commercial patients we do get coming through the trauma program through the ED. Okay. And we get paid near, near charges. Um, however, in 2014, we picked up two community hospitals, San Leandro from Sutter and Alameda Hospital from the Alameda Healthcare District. And they were both losing money. Okay, so we said, okay, we need to, and, and Highland, or the rest of the system was actually losing money too. 
So at that point, he said, okay, we, we need to put together a comprehensive turnaround program, including, including revenue cycle, including cost control, including looking reimbursement, looking at reimbursement, and also looking at our contracts. And so what, what happened is when we looked at the contracts, we realized that in particular the contracts that were in place, uh, particularly at Alameda Hospital, were really, really bad. They, were, um, they hadn't been renegotiated in years, so the reimbursement rates were well below cost. Uh, and um, the terms were bad, so that if the bill didn't get in in time, then 60 days, Pierce says, okay, I'm not going to pay it. And what was happening is payers were just routinely denying things. And our billing department at the time was, wasn't appealing anything. They were just writing them off. So it was just this tremendous contributor to the um, poor financial performance. So we said, okay, we, we've got to change that. And so the first approach was to um, go to the plans and say, look, this isn't equitable, um, really. And, and, you know, this is not real money to you. Um, you know, Anthem, we should, I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, if you want to keep these places alive, you got to trust us. Well, we had some big organizations come forward. Kaiser said, absolutely, we get it. Fine. We're a partner. Boom. HealthNet came forward. A new organization called Canopy uh, gave us uh, very good rates. Um, but some of the other plans just said, eh, we, we don't care. So we issued terminations, and um, the, those contracts lapsed. And then we've been working really hard over the last year uh, for when these, uh, you know, uninsured uh, or non-contracted patients come to our facilities. And, and remember, they, they typically come through the emergency department, so they're not elected. Uh, we make sure that they pay what they're supposed to, which is close to bill charges. <clears throat> and that is, in fact, what's happened, is over the last year, the collection ratios have gone up anywhere from 50 to 100% on these plans. Now, in some cases, we've you know, the volume has gone down by 10, 20 percent, but it's been going down for years anyway. So we said, you know, we'll trade a 10 to 20 percent volume loss for a 50 to 100 percent increase in rates. And that, that has worked. And the, uh, the amount of money in total from this has been a significant part of the financial turnaround of the system. I don't want to give details here, but it's been very, very significant. So that's working. Um, at the same time, of course, we've gone back to the plans and said, look, you know, we, we'd still like to have a contract. And what's occurred, because now the payment rates are up, they're coming back and said, okay, well, let's have a contract. And there, there are other um, things going on with um, just in the, in the commercial marketplace where actually our system is becoming more desirable to be part of a commercial network. And, and that's primarily because the market is sort of uh, dividing up into competing plans. You've got Sutter, uh, you've got Kaiser, which of course contracts with us, but you've got, you know, but then you've got UCSF, John Muir, creating Canopy. And uh, of course we're contracted with Canopy, and Canopy's about to, to announce, I think, one or two more significant contracts with some of these payers. So we're actually becoming, um, you know, desirable. Can I ask about Affinity? Yeah. A little bit about Affinity. Are they requiring primary care uh, exclusivity or? Um, yeah, they, they typically have. We are in negotiation with them about including um, our delivery system, Alameda Health Partners. And we're actually doing this with some of the other payers, too. So the ones you see up there at Nance and Cigna, we're talking about our delivery system, which, of course, is primarily specialty. That's another, another issue, which I was going to finish with, is 
the need for Alameda to have a PCP, primary care network for commercial marketplace to make this work long term. Okay. Um, anyway, but I want to give you an update on where we are. So we're actually now in uh, solid negotiations with all of these plans, um, the big ones, uh, Aetna, Anthem, Cigna, Blue Shield. Um, uh, we actually already have a contract with uh, Affinity Medical Group where we're talking about helping them introduce some, uh, some new products. So the, with Affinity, it's the, um, you know, primarily ancillary services is what, what they're capped for. Um, will this resolve the issues we have on the Alameda? It, it absolutely will. And the thing I want to point out is that this is not an Alameda strategy. This is a system-like strategy. And the things we have in place are really to benefit the entire system. We have to look at but I'll give you some information. Um, one thing, though, is I, as a as a uh, strategy to you know address the potential disruption, we've said okay, but we're going to have a special uh, policy for non-participating uh, patients. So if you're a PPO patient, you probably know you can actually choose to go to a non-participating hospital. The plan just typically says you've got to hire out of pocket. But we put this policy in place and said okay. If that happens, you know, we understand that, you know, you're going to want to go to another hospital, that's fine. But if you want to go to, if you want to keep coming to Alameda or San Leandro or Highland, we have this policy, and we're going to give you a discount down to what your out-of-pocket is going to be anyway. Okay? That's something that has been done all around the Bay Area. Stanford does it, Dignity does it, Center does it. Okay. Um, so, um, and we're logging this and having uh, pretty good participation, about 25 to 30 patients. Okay, so I, I know there are going to be some questions about Alameda Hospital in particular. So, you know, we've been tracking the data. I wanted to just share a few things with you. There's a lot more, but so the first thing is these are uh, Alameda Hospital commercial patients. So, Alameda Hospital, this goes back to 2006, has been losing volume. This is. Um, uh, uh, inpatients, okay, it's been losing volume for years. You can see it's down here a little bit. Uh, this is, um, the purple is surgeries down and then observation patients. So you can see they've been losing volume for years. So, it, you know, even though it's down, it's been going down for years. Right now, fewer than 10% of the commercial patients on the island use Alameda. 90% go elsewhere. Okay? On the other hand, here's the total emergency department visits. So even though these are going down, the ED is actually, has been increasing, particularly since the affiliation. This is before the affiliation, this is after. Now we put... Uh, they're not, but they're in the, um, the there's a, uh, there's a, um, this, should have that somewhere. So they'll be in there. Um, now, since the affiliation, Alameda, or HS has put a lot of money into this facility. We've uh, improved the facilities. We've bought equipment. We have uh, addressed pay inequities for the, the staff. Uh, and we're continuing to do that. And I, so I think it's having um, uh, a good result for the community. So it's using, and, and realize that this is really the front door of the hospital, is the ED. So about 16% of these visits to the ED result in admissions to the hospital. And that's kind of showed up, nothing to show up is here. Here's the payer mix for ED services, just ED. You can see everything is trending down except Medi-Cal. Medi-Cal is going up. 
Now, so the, the parent, and this shows up if you looked at gross charges or anything else, this is what it shows is Medi-Cal is increasing. Well, the other thing we did is we um, got designated public hospital status for this hospital. So guess what? Medi-Cal is actually the best payer that this organization has. So this is working. This is why it's turning around. And then finally, here are the statistics on this uh, discount uh, non-par uh, policy we put in place. So these are the number of patients that are actually we're putting through this program. They, they, their insurance company doesn't have a contract with us, but they're continuing to see. So I, from, from my perspective, it's working. Uh, we are in final stage, in stage negotiations with these plans. So we would just ask for con continued, um, you know, board support for this because I think it's making a difference. The decline on the commercial side, could that be some of the growth of Kaiser on their own? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, you know, several months ago we went back and did a multi-year study and you could just see, you know, the drop in commercial affinity came in, Kaiser, you know, half of the uh, commercial residents have Kaiser insurance, so it's just, uh, and of course we actually have a contract with Kaiser, so, and we still get, we still get Kaiser patients at that hospital. They continue to, uh, they continue to uh, use that facility, particularly for emergency services. It's a good, good partnership. Okay. Um, so let's switch to the balance sheet. So this is off the bottom of the balance sheet. Here, yeah, here we have gross days in AR and net days in AR. Here's the trend. So you can see end of uh, June last year we were at 58. Uh, that popped up due to this uh, systems issue. It's coming back down. Uh, hopefully we'll be down below 60 by year end. And here I added a calculation of um, days in AP. Now this includes accrual. So if you look on the balance sheet, you'll see that AP is something like $35, $40 million. That's the number we use for that calculation. But this is what we have in the system. We have $9.2 million, this is the entire system, $9.2 million sitting in AP, waiting to be paid, and here it is by aging. And, and when it's out over 120 days, there's usually a reason that we've either got an agreement with somebody or we've got a dispute or something like that. Most of this is current. You yeah. have the same thing on the AR side as well. Yeah, you sure. See the aging on that. Yeah, do that. And okay. percentage. Too. Percentage, okay. That always yeah. helps affect the sure. percentage. Yeah, okay. Happy to do that. All right, so we're, we're really in pretty good shape with, with paying our vendors. And we, we don't, occasionally we get. Uh, you know, complaints or questions, but it's usually because the invoice is held up somewhere, you know, and hasn't made it to the system to be paid. So, and we, we address those right so when our numbers went down in November because we had this, we're not meeting one of our vendors. No. No. no, we're really not. I mean, we want to keep people. Okay. This may be. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, thinking back to the. Um, more challenging days. This is just an astounding looking graph. Thank you. Um, it's an astounding looking graph. And um, hats off to your team. They worked very hard to make this look that way. Yeah, thanks very much, Jim. Um, do, do you share this with um, um, uh, our friend, you know, Steve, and some of our friends in the county? Uh, there are generally uh, representatives from the county here. Uh, they probably report back, and I, I am in uh, regular communication with uh, uh, the county controller. Yeah, I just probably just want 
just, you know, it's always good to share share good news like this and just remind people. So, just a thought. And, you know, and I, and I know, and I know that, um, um, you know, the, the county's well represented all of our meetings. It's still worthwhile just to have that discussion. But this is astounding. Thank where you. Where we were at. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say that, I mean, I track this every week. I get a report on AP. I can look at who hasn't been paid. I can ask questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, here's, uh, next one is uh, cash collections. And uh, on the left is for the entire system. Um, so you can see we're averaging, uh, you know, 45, 50 million a month in total. Uh, so we're doing pretty well. Uh, and then on the right side, I've got this graph in the, so the purple is just what we call the core. So this is everybody but Alameda Hospital in San Leandro. And you can see we were, you know, year over year from the red to the green to the purple, we've made progress. Then you can see in, um, I guess in September where the cash collections dropped off and we're reporting for November, but the big spike here is December. So we actually had a really good cash month in December. So that's, this is where we're starting to catch up on the AR and we hope this, um, hope this will continue. Okay. And then finally, I'm going to end with... Yeah. This is another example of, I mean, if you were going back to say 2012 or 13, we would have seen daily cash collections of 340,000, not a million. Yeah, thank you. Again, awesome. Okay, and then uh, finally to end up with the um, uh, net negative balance forecast, this is the amount of money we owe the county. So, um, for the newbies here. So the way this works is this is essentially the green line is the limit, the amount we can borrow during the year. And then at June 30, we have to be down to here. So in this year, 140 million. And the arrow is where we are. This is where we've been this year. And then this is the forecast. And this is sort of a best case, worst case. Um, last month, I think we were forecasting about 110 to be right there. You can see here, we're, we've got it down to 100, sort of worst case. And, you know, depending on what happens with AB 85, we could actually do better. So the good news here is we're going to be in compliance, and we're going to have some room. And uh, particularly here as you uh, go into the board meeting tomorrow and say, can we afford to embark on this um, <clears throat> rehab relocation project, it's important to know that we have some cushion here in, uh, in our capital availability. Right. Uh, let's just stop. That ends my report. Are there any other uh, questions of me before we move to Mr. Graveny? No? Gary? Okay. Right over to Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Uh, I will be brief in my report. I saw, as I said, this is a, a short printed report you have. I really just talked about two things. A brief update on the IT uh, long-range plan. As, as I'm doing the board education session tomorrow, you'll get a much more lengthy report there of what happened during this. The, the one thing I did report on is on the meeting we had a report out from Lighthouse on our uh, portfolio analysis. So this is where they went through and identified 168 applications that we have and kind of ranked them and sorted them out to see uh, where they fall in life cycle status, um, user satisfaction, and just what we should do with them, harvest them, you know, continue to use them and get more value, replace them or grow them and do more with them. So reviewed all of that. I'll share more of that, much more of that tomorrow. But that report happened um, on January 5th of this month, so just last week we got that. 
And then other, I just thought I'd share this little uh, technology update that we've done. Uh, interpreter services are important to us, right, as we, as we work with our diverse community, and so it's important that we use this and how we use this technology to support that. And uh, one of the things out of the report was the aging infrastructure that we had to do video interpretation with our patients. So the, the cart is there with the patient. They can see the, the, the interpreter uh, and the patient. They can have visual contact, and the physician or provider in the room can see the interaction as well. And so that technology was in the end of life and needed to be replaced. And so you'll see the picture on the right there in the report uh, is the new cart. We put a Microsoft, Microsoft Surface on a much smaller cart, much smaller footprint, works wirelessly, works on a battery. The old cart had to be plugged in, had to be connected with a network cable. So really took up a lot of space in the exam room uh, for the provider to have to work around in the case. The new ones now are mobile, can be moved around, make it more easily and conveniently used, uh, and they cost less than the old cards did. So upgrading the technology faster, better, cheaper, all good things happen in upgrading our technology. So, so that's it, my brief today. Much more tomorrow that you'll get to hear on uh, on the long-range plan and what's going on. Good. Thank you. Okay. As I mentioned, we're going to skip over uh, business plan tonight, and we're going to go right to um, long-term financial planning. Now, this is, this is an educational session. Uh, and this is actually kind of taken from a um, course I gave to our nurse managers because they were asking for something. Um, and I guess what I'll, as the intro, what I'll say is this is really about making sure that we ask the right questions. It's not about providing the answers, but tonight it's about what are the questions to ask. And then next month, uh, after the management team has had a time to, time to go through this and talk about it, we're prepared to talk about the answers to the questions. Okay? So, uh, and I know you guys are all financial uh, people, uh, so you know, this will probably be more abbreviated than it might otherwise be. But first thing we want to start out with is, you know, the, um, the planning cycle that we have here at Alameda Hospital Health System. So, as you see, we're, here we are in January, which is the third quarter of the year. So, what we want to be doing now is setting the financial targets for the budget process and, and the capital budget as well. Um, and then when we get to the fourth quarter, you know, for finance, we'll be expecting to bring in a budget to you that hopefully will be consistent with the, um, the target that we set next month. Okay, so we'll have this discussion next month, set a target, and you can give us two or three months, we'll come back and say, okay, we've done a budget, and this is what we think it looks like. We're going to ask you to approve both operating and then capital. Those are the major activities. Okay, so uh, very, and realize I, I designed this for uh, nurse managers. So, uh, long term financial planning is making sure that we have enough cash to do what we want to do. Okay? And the things we need to do are obviously operate the hospital, uh, fund working capital, the float, and I was prepared to discuss that, but I, I think you guys know what working capital is. Um, pay for our debt service, debt, and then capital expenditures. Okay, that's pretty pretty much it. Um, so I wanted to make sure you knew the what key terms are. I think you guys all know what EBIT is, right? Okay, seeing the heads, yes, I know Jim knows it. I, you know what working yep. capital is, you know about debt service, and you guys know what capital expenditures are. Okay? Um, we've talked about the GASB issue, so I'm going to skip that. We've, we've checked that box, so when I when we, we pick a, even a margin, we know we're going to have the cash. 
Okay, one point I wanted to make on working capital, uh, which is, you know, current assets minus current liabilities. If you look at this historically and you compare working capital, which is current assets minus current liabilities, and you compare that to the amount of debt that we owe the county, they're remarkably similar. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago, in 2014, when the debt was, uh, in this case, 180, I think it's where they ended, but it, it was popping over 200, and everybody going, oh my gosh, what's going on? Well, it's, it, the, the debt ran up because of working capital. And the reason is that we did a system conversion, accounts receivable ballooned up to over 100 and consumed cash. So we had to borrow cash from the county. And the, one of the big reasons that it's been fixed is we've collected a lot of that. We've got the receivables down here, and that's about how much debt was owed at the end of 2015. And I think if we carried this out to today, it'd be, it would be similar. Of course, today we're down on this. this okay, so that's that's why working capital. Here, here's the debt situation. Now, you want, might want to pay attention to this so you know the debt situation in the hospital. And this is intended to present debt service. So the first thing is, I'm putting in here $5 million a year as debt service. Now, it's not really because this is not a term loan, this is a line of credit, and we're currently below the limit. So we actually have some, some cushion here to borrow, not just pay down. The other thing is we have this, um, these pension obligation bonds that have to be paid. Now, this actually does have to be paid. Uh, but we, we renegotiated this agreement last year, and as part of that, we, we took this amount of money, $70 million, which was going to be paid over three years, and we, stretched, we got the county to, to allow us to stretch it out for this payment schedule. Are there any covenants on the line of credit? Not what you'd call traditional bank covenants like current ratio or you know, anything else, but it's more things like um, you can't exceed the limit, you've got to be down, and we got to cooperate. Got to provide information. If they ask a question, we got to give them give them the answer. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> okay. All right. Which is you know which is good. Uh, and then finally, there's this. Now, this it, 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 our our lender is very uh, kind, meaning and understanding. Yeah, they're good That's bankers. Important. They're really they're actually very reasonable, very nice, very supportive. And uh, anybody's taking notes, we, we, we yeah, want to compliment no, the county. It's, 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 the answer. <laughs> okay. Now, okay. Now, this last, this seven million that starts in 2019 is interesting because in the old agreement, it said, "Hey, we're building you a hospital. We're borrowing all this money, and starting in 2019, we want you to start paying some. Give us seven million a year." But okay. In the new agreement, we. It, the county agreed to change that. They said, you know, and this is actually, I give Del Vecchio credit for this idea. It's brilliant. No, seriously. Uh, he said, you know, we're going to need this money. How about if, you know, we're going to give it to you, but why don't you put it like in a capital reserve fund? And then when we, when we have projects that we both agree that we need to do, let us ask for the money back. And they agreed to do that. So even though I'm showing this as debt service, when we get to the little financial plan I did, you can see that we can actually ask for that money back. 
So, so really, when you get out to about here, you know, you can say five million, but we, you know, we, we might actually be much better positioned. It's not really, it's not really, and this is sort of not really. So, after about like 2021, our actual debt service might be zero. Okay, so that's that's pretty. So keep that in mind when we get to the financial plan, because it's all about having money to do things. Okay, all right. Okay, uh, here's more detail on the line of credit. I just wanted to show you, here's the actual, you know, schedule on the line of credit. This is the end-of-year balance. This is the flexible maximum. So basically, at June 30, we have to be here. During the year, we have to keep it under the red line, but there's a, there's a, a safety valve that says if we get in trouble, uh, Mr. Finley can go to the county auditor and ask to go up to the purple line. Okay. But we still have to be back here by the end of the year. That's the way it works. And you can see it. The other big change here is uh, in the old agreement, this was zero. We said, no, no, no. Look, we're we're really partners here. Okay. I mean, we 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 expect to have a relationship with you for a long time. And you know, so don't make this thing go away. Let's let's have a balance. And so we have a lot more availability here than we did under the old. Uh, Reduction schedule. Okay, that's debt. Okay, here's um, an example of a capital plan. This is not the final capital plan because the management team hasn't yet finalized this, and we're going to have a we're going to have a discussion over the next month. And, you know, uh, people have been working really hard on refining these numbers, but basically, um, historically, we really didn't spend a lot of money on capital because we didn't have any money. But if you look forward, uh, and you know, we're gonna spend, we have 20 here, it might be, we're gonna refine these numbers, it might be 24, 25 million this year. But looking forward, you know, 56, 58, and then going down, you know, maybe 40, who knows, but there might be other projects by then. So this is things like facilities, you know, six million a year, equipment, seven, baseline IT, four or five million a year. And then we, get, then we get to the big projects. Okay, so later this year, we expect to bring you a request to do an EHR. Our company. We don't know exactly how much it's going to cost. It's probably going to take two to three years to implement. So we put, as a, as a whole, uh, 10 million, 15 million, 20 million a year. And then that will just go on. Who knows? That's a conservative estimate. I see we have somebody from Cerner here tonight. You know, well, we of course expect to do much better than that. <laughs> I'll just say. Okay. Uh, this is the project you're going to be asked to approve tomorrow night, moving rehab from Fairmont to San Leandro. We have a firm cost estimate on that. We don't have contracts yet. We have a cost estimate of 33.2. You can see most of that's going to get spent in the next fiscal year and then finish up the year after. Tomorrow night is not an action item. It's the education oh. on where we are in the plan, and the oh, action okay. item comes, Thanks. I think, in March no, or well, February. Fortunately, will come in uh, later in January, and then in March is the larger plan. That's right. Ah, okay. Thanks for correcting. Appreciate it. Um, and then uh, another big project we're expecting to have to deal with is a seismic issue at Alameda Hospital. And we're currently estimating that at about 17.5. That could change. And actually not on here is um, uh, 
uh, Alameda Hospital, I know, wants to talk to us about not only this, but then sort of a hospital replacement budget. We need to figure that out and get that into the plan. That could be that could be a big number. Yeah, but according to the JPA, that's that's not our responsibility. Oh, okay. That's good. And then we just have kind of a hold here for strategic opportunities. So again, for discussion purposes, let's say that's a capital plan, but course we need to come back and, and you know flesh that out that could it could be more okay let's just go back to, to the alameda seismic just get a yeah. sense of what that's about um i don't know all the details but effectively um uh, i know a little bit more. you do yeah so it's, it, a, it's a multi-campus facility yeah um one of the uh Hoshpod rules is <clears throat> the kitchen has to be in a seismically right. confined building it's not. So the main hospital apparently is okay, but this one place with a kitchen needs to be relocated. That's right. about all I know about it. So it has, it has to do with, it all ties into Senate Bill 1953 mm-hmm. and Senate Bill 90. Right, so what, what we have, SB 90, so what we have to do is there's certain, there's certain criteria and certain time frames that have to be met and certain conditions that have to be met within those time frames. So by 2020, you have to have certain conditions met, one of which is impacting our, our kitchen in Alameda Hospital. So this is really focusing on addressing that need to make sure that we meet compliance for 2020, which is right around the corner, and then Senate Bill 1953, which is the much larger project that Dave mentioned, which is the full replacement, right. which is meeting SPC or structural performance rating of five by 2030. Right. So that's what the differences are. And this is so really specifically to look at meeting the requirements for 2020 so we can continue to operate until 2030, and hopefully by then we can have another plan or strategy. Okay. So 17.5 million for a kitchen? Sorry. Relocation. It's relocating uh, the entire kitchen from one building to another, and going through that entire infrastructure. It's, it's a large some project. The, some of the most expensive spaces, two of the most expensive spaces in a hospital building, operating room and a kitchen. And just <laughs> run the food out of Burger King. I think it's kind of a branding issue with this. Um, you know, the, the, the kitchen thing. I've seen it show up, you know, explicitly the Alameda kitchen, and you, you kind of scratch your head in the screen, go, wow, that's really expensive kitchen. But, I mean, it just, it's just, that's what, the, the problem area is where the kitchen is at. It could have been anything, you know. Uh, so it's really, it's the seismic refit that, I mean, that's what's driving it, right? I knew it was speaking of You know, we're, we're, not, we're not replacing the kitchen, but we feel like it. Alameda seismic, I think that's the accurate um, characterization of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next slide, what I've done is um, uh, try to put everything together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got working capital, I'll put in there five million a year. And so basically what happens there is uh, if we grow, our revenues grow, we're going to have receivables, mm-hmm. and, and that's going to get bigger than, quicker than AP grows up, so there's going to be, going to be this need to uh, consume a little bit of cash there. Uh, then I've laid in the debt service. Now remember, I said, you know, when you get out here, really, it sort of gets down to zero. You can look after the POB is paid off. So, so that number, there's some flex in it. And then here's the capital. And, and, you know, we said we're going to refine that. But you put all that together, and then uh, you look out to 2018, $80 million. 
pay next year, $80 million. And then it starts going down, 65, 65. So that's the kind of cash that we need, like 60 to 80 going forward, okay? Now, there's a wild card, uh, my favorite OPM of other people's money. This is, uh, so, Deb's still here. Deb, Deb Barnes is gonna hide under the table, but you know, we would like to raise some money. Now, th th that's, that's, who, that could be significant money right there. And then you can see the, the jump here from five to seven, 12, seven million dollar jump. That's that um, capital fund that we talked about in the seven million, potentially getting it back. So that then reduces it to, uh, you know, 75, 67, 50, so, you know, still around 60, 70 million. And I'm, I'm thinking, if we grow and we're successful, there may be other things that we want to do that, that take you know, some big dollars. So we, we need to be, you know, but you can kind of see here what it looks like in terms of dollars. Okay? All right. Now, question is, if that's what we need, then what kind of performance do we have to have? Now, this is where it's really important to have a good calculation of the EBITDA because we don't want to, you know, if we're not calculating this right, then we're going to either undershoot or overshoot what we need. And of course, as you know, operating performance is not easy to achieve. Uh, so the answer, I think, is probably in this range right here. So we're, we're going to be a billion-dollar organization. Uh, we probably actually you know, probably add some other rows, rows to this, but we probably need to be in this range right here, 6 to 8%, right? My opinion, you, you know, other people might have different opinions, but that's kind of what I think, right? Um, and so then the question is, well, can the organization, organization do that? And I put together a little financial history, which I'm not going to go through, but in, in 2016, we, we actually did better than that, 7.9. This year, we're a little below 6, you know. Uh, we might get up to 6 by the end of the year. And I'm, I'm thinking we need to get out to at least 6 next year. That's my opinion, my, my recommendation. Uh, whether we can do that or not really depends on... How fast does revenue grow? How much does expense grow? And we need to spend more time uh, talking about you know, what's what's realistic. Here. Okay. Uh, and then this is my very very simple um, model to do financial target set. And so what we talked about is having to have net about 75 million next year. And if you look at this, if we if we assume that our revenue grows by about three percent, nine seventy nine, maybe we get up to a billion next year. If we had a six percent margin, then we produce about fifty eight to sixty million. That's not going to be enough. It's, it's short by sixteen, but we've got we've got some reserves in our line of credit. Okay? Um, and in future years, this is going to go down. A little bit. In future years, if we continue to grow 6%, 7%, 8%, and, and those of you who run a business or, you know, run healthcare organizations, you know, it's not hard, it's not that easy to move the dial year to year. I mean, 1% improvement in EBITDA is, is a pretty big deal, okay? I'm, I'm thinking 6, get up to 8, you know, we consume a little cash next year, but um, over the long term, we've got some room down here. We get up to 8, we've got... 
you know, 30 million a year we could use to pursue other you know, projects. That's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So. Uh, and I think that's about it. Yeah, that's the last slide. So that's the end of the education session. To me, the questions are, what's your capital budget? Um, what do you think you can do on the EBITDA margin? How are you going to get there? What's going to happen with revenue? What's going to happen with expenses? You know, what are the wild cards on fundraising, other things? That, that's the show. Good summary, Dave. Okay. If there's no questions, we're up to uh, the planning calendar, Jim. All right. Well, um, I think, why don't we just um, take a quick look at the uh, calendar, which is on page 103 of the deck. Is there anything um, noteworthy coming up in the next couple of meetings? Um, well, I'll just say we're going to continue the um, education because uh, yeah. I had a, like a five classes, so I'm just going to do them. And then, mm -hmm. of course, the big thing is setting the target. So actually going through this for real next month and saying and having answers to these questions. Uh, we are going to have a um, um, well, actually on here we have the uh, IT strategic plan, but you're going to give that to the full board, so we're not going to have to do that. Uh, we have been yep. working on a um, uh, GI service line. Um, I'll check with Shwari, uh, and she's she's thinking that that'll actually be ready. So that'll be a, that'll be a fun uh, discussion because this will be the first time that we bring a service line business plan in, and we have a couple of uh, retrospective uh, reviews. Uh, minor you know, Abbott is a pretty straightforward project, and then Freed, which is the revenue cycle turnaround. So um, that's, see, that's um, it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I see in um, February we have um, uh, lost and story and rebuild as a um, as a as an item. So um, hopefully okay. there'll be a lot of discussion, a good discussion around. Um, yeah. Making sure the stuff really works this time around. Okay. Oh, and I think we, at some point, are going to have a facilities plan. I'm going to need to check with Luis and see what uh, the timing on that's going to be. But at some point. We'll... That'll be very useful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Good to go. Keep going. Well, let's see. I understand that there is um, one item for public comment. The one, the, are there any others, Susanna? Um, that person had to go, and so we do not have public comment at this time. Okay. Well, in that case, are there any um, trustee comments? Uh, I, I take that as a no. no that would be you uh, no, uh, no, I, I just want to uh, show my appreciation for all the work that's been done here this evening. It's very comprehensive. And certainly being my first uh, finance committee meeting, it's been very, very helpful and informative. So Thanks, thank Reed. you for the information presented. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. And thank, and they thank you. Well, um, then unless there is um, any you know, going once, going twice, then um, why don't we adjourn this meeting 30 minutes early? Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Nice. All right. Thank you. Meeting adjourned.